Hi, this is Paul Siegel. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and youtube.com slash wanderingdms slash live. And now, on with the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan. And on this episode of uh, Wandering DMs, we're going to be talking about how to make your D&D game scary. Tips and tricks to leave your players clammy-handed at the end of the session. I'll add more today, Paul. Now, here's an idea for how to, how to yeah. make your session scary. Is use the feeling right before you start a public stream, not entirely sure what you're going to be talking about. Because that, <laughs> that, that'll, really, that'll really get the blood pumping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Small commentary, uh, a little little editorial there from Dan on my preparedness. I see. It's fine. It's fine. It's both uh, of us. Some of our it's both of us. Yeah, yeah, we're a team. Both of us. Excellent. Uh, yeah, as some of our viewers may know, I have just moved uh, two days ago into a new house. So uh, hopefully everything's up and working all right. Uh, looks like. Uh, everybody says uh, on the chat, so it looks like we're doing good. So, holy crap, it works. Thank you. Thank yeah. you very much, you guys. And, of course, yeah. we were, uh, you know, partly because of that, and coincidentally, in both of our places, we had stuff happening last week. So we actually weren't on last Sunday, so we apologize for that. And uh, remember that we do have uh, Super Chat on, so if there's something that you want to get in front of us that we missed and you just really must get it, feel free to use the YouTube Super Chat feature. Don't have to, obviously. Um, so, yeah, welcome back, Paul, yeah. everybody. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> this, feels, this feels very seasonal. Here we are in the beginning of October and uh, ready, ready for some spooky elements to our games. And... Uh, right. Uh, I'm excited how how to get how to get scary stuff into your game. Now, are you talking Dan specifically about uh, how to run a horror game, or how to mix horror elements into a game that's not typically horror, or uh, a little of both? What do we what do we look? Well, at? that's a good point, Paul. We we had I will remind viewers that we had an episode in season one, pretty early actually, on horror gaming actually. And so I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, so I think we, well, that was a pretty good conversation among the things we came to is that how very difficult it would be to have a horror campaign on an ongoing basis. And I think most of us agreed that would be really tricky to do. So I'm thinking today, specifically, you're, you're playing D&D. You're playing D&D, you're playing a fantasy role-playing game. How can you inject scary elements within the scope of a particular session? And I think a lot of us run, you know, like in the Halloween season, run a one-off game or, you know, here's one game that's going to focus on the undead or something like that. So I'm thinking, like, how can you spice up a particular session to make it memorable for your players in a, in a scary way? Interesting. Interesting. So I have, as, as some of our viewers may know, uh, I have a project that I've been working on called Fearful Ends, which is my own custom horror game uh, that hopefully will come, be coming to Kickstarter soon. Uh, definitely the move has uh, delayed things a little bit. So uh, apologies uh, for anyone who's super eager to see it, but it is ongoing. And I actually put a, a section at the very beginning of the book about this, uh, about tone in general of the game. And here's, this is a game 
that's specifically written for horror, specifically written to to be spooky and scary. Um, and my opening gambit in that section is to say that horror roleplay is not about jump scares. And and I pose the question: Have you ever played a horror roleplaying game where everyone at the table experiences real fear, like real serious heart in the throat, home alone in the dark level scared? Honestly, me neither. So okay. I don't think that's really a thing that we get in roleplaying. Yes, occasionally, sometimes a DM will do something that just hits you in just the right way. But I think that that level of reaction from uh, any kind of entertainment uh, is is much easier to attain in something that is uh, very carefully pre-authored, like a, a movie or a book, right? Where you're going to like, Maybe not a book, maybe a book, but certainly a movie, right? Like movies are definitely always going for that in the horror, that moment of like, like, you know, building and building of tension, then suddenly a bang and, and oh my God, your, your, your reactions. I feel like that's, that's not really role playing's place. I feel like role playing games, it is a real stretch to get to that. And I don't think I want to get to that either. I think I want moody stuff. I want, uh, a sense of spooky or creepy or like chills kind of feeling, but not a, not a like an immediate like really like oh I'm scared I'm going to go hide under the table kind of reaction. Interesting. Well, I mean, obviously, I hope people don't literally run away from the game. <laughs> um, I feel like <laughs> that would probably be a failure. I guess probably. Have you had that moment? Um, Can you think of a game you played in Dan where you had that moment of like real fear? Uh, honestly, I think that I have come pretty close, and I'll t mm -hmm. and and okay, this is going to be my 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 denouement, but mm -hmm. I guess now it's now it's become <laughs> my icebreaker. Um, I I rem so the thing that has that I, the thing that I've seen players get affected by the most is when there's no safety net in the sense of uh, open die rolls. And if, and again, it's funny because this went around on social media coincidentally, like in the last week about is the DM fudging the dice or not? And is that, you know, okay, or is that or not? And I'm constantly surprised by how many people have just never, have just never tried it, have just never tried just, I'm the DM, I'm rolling dice in the open and however the dice fall, that is what happens. And I've, I've had players, particularly new ones, when I announce you know, you get to a point. Okay, here's the specific thing. So I was running uh, uh, new players after a couple sessions through the original Dungeon Master's Guide uh, monastery area, and they ran into the room that has a whole bunch of ghouls. They didn't know how ghouls worked exactly. So they ran into a bunch of ghouls, and the ghouls started paralyzing the players. And, and I got most of a TPK off. I got I killed, like... You know, so the, the, the dice mm -hmm. killed six out of eight players and the remaining two run and they run blindly down the halls to get away. It branches and they go down a dead end and they're stuck. And I say, OK, so the ghouls are behind you and I'm going to roll a random die for which way they go. And if it's one, two, three, they go up the dead end and clearly they're going to massacre you. And if it's four, five, six, they go the other way. Here it comes. <laughs> and, I, and, and I've never, and they were, yeah. they were really, they really felt that. They really felt yeah. that. I'm going to roll yeah. it in the open. I've announced what's going to happen. It's out of my hands. The fact that it's out of the DM's hands 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Really cut them. Really, I think emotionally cut them. And I've, I've been told later that that actually is the single most memorable moment from that from that series of games. So uh, the possibility of of you know the DM letting go of the story and it being mm-hmm. out of your hands that uh, that really emotionally. Hmm. I could see that. I could see how that yeah. that would add to the yeah. drama. Right. Yeah. And and if you are talking about a long running campaign and having a spooky session or a scary session, right, that if you're very emotionally invested in your character and here you are down to a like save or die moment. Right. Yeah, right. that can be I could see how that could right. that could inspire some real some real terror. Um, now, I feel like, you know, that can't that's not going to work as a pure surprise. So like a thing like in, in a movie of like jump out of the closet or through a door unexpectedly, I, I, I doubt is going to work the same way. I think for our for our gaming hobby, they have to see it coming. So it's got to yeah. be something that was alluded to or warned about or they, they, they've been dwelling on the threat for a while and they see it coming uh and i feel like that you know it's pretty much what you were talking about paul about building a tone building a a, a sense um and they have to they have to they have to see it coming and be worried about it i've seen i've seen games where it was described and even even run some stuff myself where this sort of feels a little bit of where you're um, maybe describing something and the players are anticipating something horrible right uh i'm trying to remember i think there was a a game I ran where um, there's a, a large tank of dark water and all the electricity in the house is out and it's night. And so you, you can't really tell what's going on, but it's a you know, huge tank. You know, easily you know could fit um, you know a couple people in there, right? So big tank of water. They're sneaking up on it. They got their flashlights on. And of course, that's just reflecting off the glass and not really helping. So they're sneaking up and they're trying to look at it. And I'm, I'm kind of very slowly using a lot of descriptive words to just build and build the tension. And then I go, I, I something like clap my hands or I hit the table. I go, and then it's like, bam, a hand, a white, pale white hand wow. appears on the glass. Thump. Um, and I think it's not so much the that the horror, right? Sure, that's a that's a creepy thing. And if you were watching that in a horror movie, that'd be quite scary. But I think it's the 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 way I vocalize and sort of like the being very quiet and drawing it out and drawing it out and then suddenly hitting with a loud, you know, noise. <laughs> uh, that just the noise is startling, right? And, oh, oh no, right? But I don't think that's a. I wouldn't pull that trick out often. I would say pull that trick out almost yeah. never. Because uh, yeah, yeah. It, it can be fun in the moment, but uh, um, I don't know. I think it's more interesting, like you say, to, to have the, the the players have that separation and be participating in. Oh yes, this feels like this other scary stuff that I know of, right? This feels like is evocative gotcha. of this movie or this gotcha. genre or this 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 feeling of stuff that I've experienced before, and that so I'm like remembering fear rather than experiencing fear. Does that make sense? I think so. I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. Let me yeah. look at some of the comments. Uh, so, so, yeah. so some of our viewers are saying they've found ways to scare their players. What are you going to say, Paul? Yeah, I was going to, you know, I was actually misreading one of the comments from Joshua who asked, uh, <laughs> is that error or dread? And like, hey, let's talk about the game Dread with its Jenga tower, right? That's, 
Um, I don't know. Is that like, like, yeah, is that terror or dread, right? Is that, are you actually scared? You're certainly very nervous in those key moments of like pulling out the, the, the Jenga piece, right? That like, I think it's a, it's a a fantastic, um, mechanic in a game because it, it physicalizes that, uh, that, uh, that tension, right? That really, I think draws on your nerves and makes you feel dread, dread. What's the name of the game, right? Oh God, I might, I might knock over the tower, and then everything's lost. I called this episode on YouTube. I called it. I, the, I gave it a subtitle of Dungeons and Dread. So I will, I will accept inserting the, accept the Dread accept. game into this discussion. <laughs> yes, that is acceptable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah I think that's kind of my thing about like you see it coming, right? It, a, a, it's real. No one's going to step in and protect you from this event. Now, obviously, no one's actually going to get hurt or anything like that, but it, it, it's real in the sense that there's an objective, concrete reality. There's some kind of philosophical thought experiment of like, if you if you run into somebody who argues that the whole world is an illusion, like hit them in the head with a brick, and they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna <laughs> suddenly agree with you that there is an element of, of concrete objectivism in the universe. Right? So, so, by, so by having this concrete thing that you can't argue away, <laughs> by having this concrete thing you can't argue away, it's, it, suddenly become, it's, it suddenly becomes literally real. Um, yeah. And you can you yeah. can see that it's an actual real threat that no that that no one's going to you know talk talk you back into safety over. Yeah. yeah. Let me put up here uh, William's comment, uh, who says, "For me, it. it took a power outage and a thunderstorm gaming by candlelight to get that vibe." And I feel like that is a thing. You you sure lucky that you had uh, you know a thunderstorm and and a power outage, but you can you can fake that right. You can uh, you can turn off the lights. And you can, um, you know, play a little soundtrack with some spooky backgrounds, and you can evoke that vibe. Um, and I would, I would even argue, uh, it's interesting to evoke that uh, intentionally partway through the game, right? That's something you and I experienced once, kind of by accident, uh, at a game I was running at Helicon, where yeah. we took a break halfway right. through and we changed the lighting. Right. I can't remember what inspired us to do that, but uh, literally, like when, when everyone came back to the table, it was dimmer and yeah. a little more spooky. Yeah. And I think that's nice. Well, wondering... Nice to have the juxtaposition. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And, and I'm wondering if maybe William can tell us was, was the power outage before you get started the game session or midway <laughs> through? And, and you're right. And as usual, you know, it's funny with the last couple of episodes we've done with uh, Dungeon Design together, Paul. We were we were playing that game and you were you were refereeing and um, uh, everybody else took a break. We got halfway through and you said, let's take a break. Everybody else went. I said, I don't have to. And it's, you know, me and Paul in the room. And somehow the idea came up for us, for the two of us to change the lighting. And after mm-hmm. the fact, I have no idea who brought it up first. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, I think we, we were. It was just a physical problem that we we're dealing with, right? Of just sort of like, yeah. oh, the lights are glaring, right. or I can't see my dice well, or something like that. We were just trying right, to correct right. a problem, but it happened to be yeah. a horror game we were running anyway, and it happened to happen right. in a in a part of the game where the players just went through a transition, where they actually mm-hmm. went from like yeah. a safe space right. to a dangerous space. Right. And we took a break right at the moment, so it was really well. Like if if I could plan to do that instead of having it by having by accident, that would be fantastic. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. So I mean, I suppose so. That that's interesting. So you can use you can use lighting cues, and I like this idea of changing it to make the players unsettled. 
some people use uh, music cues, right? Um, and we were talking when we were talking to Satine Phoenix a little while back. They've got that built all through their their Bards product of uh, of music cues. Have you done Have you done that, Paul, for the purpose of a uh, fright type tone? I personally have not. Uh, I personally have not. But uh, anyone who um, role plays in the New England area and goes to conventions probably knows of Andre Krupa. It does that uh, very much so. Uh, basically, he typically at convention games gets a small ballroom or private room to himself and he blacks out the windows and he sets up this whole elaborate sound system. So I've certainly gotcha. seen it done. Certainly wow. seen it done. And that, it, sometimes it works great and sometimes it falls a little flat. And, it, you know, it's, it's a tough thing. I think it's a difficult thing to do. Because I think already as DM, you're already juggling a million things in your head. So to have to also, like, yeah. screw around with, like, lighting and sound settings... Right. That's that's difficult. I would I would advise if you were going to try and push for this, I would advise just having a distinct moment in the game, like a, a halfway point where you can say we're going to take a break, and then during that break you can shift, you know, shift the the environment. And apparently, uh, I like that. That's apparently that's sort of what happened with Williams' case. He's, he's saying the power was out to start, uh, yep. but it was light outside when they started, and as the sun went down, then they pulled out the candles midway through. Which is exactly what you're talking about. So that kind of that kind of shift underneath, shifting the ground underneath you, can have a have a really nice effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. I think that's a lot about what what being scary is about, right? It's the building of tension right. and then the release, right? And so it's the, right. the the shift of expectations, the 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 change of like, um, you know, uh, here's here's another here's another. Sorry, I'm off on a tangent. Uh, <laughs> but here's another piece of concrete advice uh, I would say for making adding a scary element to your game: split the party, do it, make them force yeah, them to okay. split. Yeah, okay. Okay. I think I think that can be very effective. First of all, it it, it builds up the tension a little bit. You're a little more nervous because you you're not at full strength. You have less of the group around. Uh, also, I've seen cases where you can really play into some delightful murky mirror stuff. Right of playing with what the players know and what the characters know, uh, I've done this in a horror game also by accident where one player got split off from the party and ended up going through an area that was pretty pretty scary and horrific by himself, and I just DM'd it with him right there, and the rest everyone else was just sitting quietly around the table listening and enjoying this, and then jumped occasionally would jump back and forth between because this is usually what I do when my party splits I don't like to okay, I'm going to do everything with you, and then I'm going to jump back to the other group. I kind of try to find moments yeah. of, to, to quickly cut back yeah. and forth between the two groups. The re other remaining group was headed in the same direction, but at a much slower pace. So I had like the lone guy experiencing horrible, horrible stuff that was building all this lovely foreshadowing for the rest of the group so that then they got to, to dive in and role play the scaredness, right? Like, like, you know, again, they're not really scared, but they're enjoying right. role-playing their characters right. blithely walking in and being like, oh, this is fine, and then discovering <laughs> horror, right? And then maybe intentionally even making their characters be a little uh, a little more oblivious than they should have been just for the joy of hitting these really terrible, terrible things in the game. You know, it's, it's a really interesting lesson to me because now I've seen you, Paul, uh, run split parties at the table, and... Um, uh, before I saw you do it, I didn't think that was possible. I actually thought that was an enormous mistake when, or at least when I would always do it, it was an enormous mistake to it's... try to run split parties. And 
I guess among the mistakes I would make is to actually physically remove a player from the room and physically split them up. And to see you successfully run it, everybody's sitting at the same table. And, and like you're saying, not get one player's scene to a conclusion, but fairly rapidly switch back and forth at moments of tension of like, okay, yeah. now you're in a particularly bad situation and we're going to leave you hanging over there <laughs> while we come back to the other group, right? And once they get in a bad situation, flip back to the other side of the table works really marvelously well. And I would not have, I would not have believed it until I saw Paul run it that way. So that actually it's, is a technique that works very well. It's a lot of fun. It definitely increases the deadliness, right? So you don't want, I think you don't want to, you know, the classic advice is don't split the party, right? And that's both aimed at uh, yeah. players because like, yeah, it's more dangerous. You split the party and probably yeah. going to end up dead, right? And it's aimed at DMs because, you know, hey, it's more for you to juggle and it's more annoying and whatnot. But like, we've already accepted that you're trying to make the game scary, which probably means you're trying to make it more dangerous, right? So why not? Like at that point, I'm like, yes, definitely split the party. And uh, yeah, I think that's, um, you know, there's a there's a just a, a technique that I found that really works very well, which is just to find the cliffhanger, like play, play with part of the group, yeah. get them to the point of tension of like, oh, and this terrible thing's gonna happen, and then we're gonna jump back over here. <laughs> 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 Meanwhile, back at the end, right? <laughs> it works so well. It, it works so work well. well. You know, at the moment, okay, so you're going to see, you're going to hear me bring this up over and over again. And our, our patrons know that I brought this up on our Discord server this week is I am completely obsessed with watching reviews of the video game Pathologic now. And if, if you're not familiar with that, Pathologic was a, a Russian video game initially released in 2004. And they've had a, like a retranslation and a re-release and a, and a version 2 recycle re remake of it basically and it, it and it stands out as a video game that all the critics agree really makes you reflect on whether the point of games is to be fun because it's a game that's amazing and immersive and uh um totally not fun at any point <laughs> and 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 it keeps coming up over and over again of just how brutally punishing, just brutally punishing at all points it is. And I think like only twelve percent of players ever get through the first day, the first in-game day, and there's like twelve in-game days to the to it. Um, and which really much feels like classic D and D to me, original classic D and D of like just just punishing brutality. And, but somehow satisfying in a way that you can't really call it fun uh, really really gets my juices going. So the one thing that I wanted to point out is that the game has multiple uh, characters that you can play through with it. And they wind up interacting through the 12 days of the plot. And so you can play through as character one, and then you'll play through as character two if you have the courage to do that. Um, and you wind up you wind up seeing what character one was doing from a completely different perspective, and finding mm -hmm. out that they were they were screwing crap up in horrible <laughs> ways that you never realized when you were playing as character one. And so that the getting it from like this fractured mirror of multiple perspectives, multiple mm -hmm. contradictory perspectives about what's happening, uh, can be can be really scary and really feel like. Um, it's, it's taking your safety away, that you kind of have this idea of what's happening that's out of your control. It's mm -hmm. a loss of control, I guess is what I'm saying. 
So once again, the, the, the shifting perspective in both like maybe lighting cues or maybe having the split party forcing a weird uh, change of perspective can be scary. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so speaking of that, I want to um, I want to bring up a question that John Miller asked earlier. Thank you. Uh, I'm glad uh, you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. So John uh, asks us, uh, do oh no, it's got cut off here on my screen. Hang on. Uh, there it I is. Can do see fear it. checks, uh, says, horror checks. Yeah. I got it. Uh, do fear checks, yeah, horror checks, sanity checks, or morale checks work to create fear, perhaps from the feeling of a loss of control of a character, or do they break immersion and thus reduce fear? What's what are your thoughts, Dan? That's a great question. What a, I'm so glad you brought that up because I wanted to dig. I don't. I don't know. So I don't. I've never used those mechanics in my games. I've never used fear checks or horror checks or sanity checks in one of my games. And I even have to confess that I'm always aggravated by how often I fail to do morale checks for like henchmen. Like I always get done with a game and then go, I, I should have run more morale checks there. I would, I would never do that for D and D player characters. Um, so obviously you play more called Cthulhu call that has like, you know, traditionally has a sanity check mechanism built in. So maybe yep. you know more about that than I do. Uh, a little bit, uh, certainly, you know, and, and folks will know I've, I've worked on this problem quite a bit in some of my games. Uh, and uh, again, Fearful Ends, uh, coming soon, uh, does this. Uh, it has a mechanic called uh, uh, mental stress, uh, basically, where where you are by, by seeing horrific things and being exposed to both uh, real world horrors as well as supernatural horrors. Uh, it is uh, overloading you with mental stress to a, to a breaking point. And um, is the actual mechanics of that, like the the the, the doing a fear check or doing a, a, a you know taking mental stress damage or whatever it is in the game, is that adding fear? I would say no. That that mechanic in of itself, because of its abstraction, is more likely to break immersion than to cause fear. But I think what is interesting about those mechanics is the outcomes or the ramifications of failing them. Right? The the if those have an impact on your character that change your character to force them to act in a way that's maybe contrary to their well-being that that down the road that can play off later in the game you can that can pay off to to give you those fearful moments because now you're in the point where your character is restricted in what they can do or being forced potentially by the mechanics of the game to do something against their best interest and get them into those really terrible and scary moments uh, that's my argument i think i think that um you know, it's again, it's playing into that uh, separation of player and character. It's allowing the player to really separate themselves and and put their character in threat and then enjoy the emotional impact of watching a character get into threat rather than feeling like I am there and I'm in danger. Well, that's, that's interesting. I mean, and I'd be wondering, like, maybe John will share with us if he had an opinion about that. I'm assuming yeah, that, yeah, that John yeah. probably probably had his own take on that. I'm wondering if that has worked for him. It has felt, I mean, I've never gone in the direction of those mechanics because they just never felt like they were about to do that to me. But that's purely uh, tabula rasa impression yeah. on my part. I mean, I think... Like, like, think of like your classic like fear spell, right? Oh, I cast a fear spell right. on you. Yes. You fail the right. save. You run away, yeah. right? Now, I, now I'm just play acting, being scared, and I feel like that's right. the opposite of actually being scared, right? You're not like, not actually scared, right? I'm just, you know, I'm 
being told by the game that my character is scared and I have to force them to run away. And I think that that effect is contrary. Whereas if you have something like, say, my mental stress cards that tell you um, that you are having uh, auditory hallucinations that uh, occasionally uh, uh, encourage you to do physically dangerous things, uh, right? Again, it's, it's very vague. It's not like told you specifically at this moment you must run away. But it's giving you that open book to say, or that that permission to say, I'm going to do things yeah. for my character in the yeah. moments that feel right to me, and it's allowing the player to participate a little at the GM level of like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if my character, who's maybe the only character with a gun and only armed and the only one capable of taking care of this situation, like freaks out at this moment and you know starts firing blindly in the air or runs away or whatever. And, and it works then very well. That player I, yeah. is creating fear for the other players. Right, right. And I'll say it works very well. I don't play a lot of storytelling games, but I've gotten in a couple of, of your games that used your, your mental stress cards, and I was truly amazed. I was truly amazed at the level of play acting occurring in those games. Uh, and I'm so so glad I sat in because it was not something I'm, I'm frankly accustomed to in my D&D games. Uh, and yeah, allowing, you know, giving a rather broad scope for the player to choose from about how they're gonna they're gonna portray this um, ailment uh, in a game actually worked really really well really surprised me at how well it worked. Hmm. Thanks. Um, I so John, John ask, mentions like, here, yeah. you know, he says uh, techniques we described earlier for creating player fear seem more organic and effective. I assume you're talking about things like the yeah. lighting and sound and mood and that stuff. But Call of Cthulhu and Paul's discussion make it seem like stress slash sanity loss can induce player fear. And and I like that, John. I like that you stressed can. Because you're right. It's no promise. It's no guarantee, right? Because those things usually are kind of vague and open-ended, it's up to what the players do with it. It's it's a yeah, it's an encouraging thing. It's encouraging the players to to add that element to the game, but it's it's no guarantee. Interesting. I mean, I suppose we should talk about like I mean, is it even a good goal? Is it even a good goal to intentionally try to scare the players? Like so so maybe you know, may, maybe, uh, you know, one technique is we're going to explore and watch characters get scared. But I suppose that's a completely separate thing from do the players get scared? Is it even a good mm-hmm. goal to, to, to want to scare the players in the game? Or should that be avoided now? Hmm. hmm. That is interesting. Certainly, I would say you probably, if it is your goal, you should be upfront about it. And you should make sure that the players are aware of that the moment they sit down at the table. Right? The last thing you want to do is scare a player without them realizing that's the kind of game we're about to play. Okay. I So I I think there's a counter-argument. I think there's a counter-argument to that. All right? And, you know, so, you know, my partner Isabel here a while back was watching a movie. And I can't remember what it was. But she's watching a movie. And they're following a character. And you get halfway through the movie and the character is just sitting in their chair and all of a sudden gets shot through the face with no warning and is dead. And she's like, I and I hear her yelp in the other room like she's watching it on her own. And I hear her yelp, had no idea that that was going to happen at any point in the movie. And I asked her later, I said, do you feel like that was fair game? Like, do you feel, you know, do you feel like that was fair game to surprise to get surprised with a horrible on screen murder when you didn't know that? And we kind of had a back and forth about that, and there's no perfect answer to it. 
but like I've certainly been shocked tonally by movies and I don't think I would have nearly had the same effect if I'd known it was going to happen that that was on the table going in like the whole I, the whole theme of it had to surprise me for the full emotional effect I I could see that that level of surprise could help induce that reaction but the big difference between sitting alone on the couch watching a movie and sitting around a table with a bunch of people playing games is um if you're if you're watching a movie and you experience that and you decide, oh, no, I don't like this. Yeah. I don't want it. You can turn it off and walk away with very little barrier, right? Like you can just say, nope, not for me. I'm done. I'm out. Like it's much, I feel like it's much harder to do that sitting around a table playing a role-playing game. There's more social pressure to remain, right? There's more, um, you know, and maybe you feel a little bit more kind of, you know, a little bit more of a bait and switch there of like, oh, I thought I was sitting down to this fun adventure game and here you've like put something horrific in front of me. And you don't know, you know, as DM, like you don't know what you're going to put in front of someone that could be like truly triggering to them. And like really, you know, you don't know what, pe what people's past experiences are, what they're bringing to the table. Like, you know, if uh, what if my, you know, mother was shot in the face in that way and, uh, and now you, I'm bringing all of that to the table and I'm just like, no, I can't handle this. You know, are you, are you, what are you going to do for that player when halfway through the game, they're like, no, I can't. Are you prepared for them to get up and walk away? It's a great, you know, it's a great dilemma. It's, it's one of those things whereby, you know, in 40, so now we're, now we're doing this. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we've had some critiques on prior episodes about whether we should even discuss these things or not. Um, yeah. You know, it's one of those things whereby, you know, in, in, in 40 years of gaming, I haven't actually, I personally haven't seen that issue come up. And so sometimes to me, that feels like more of a hypothetical problem than, than, a, than a common problem. Maybe, I mean, maybe even, I'm being... Yeah. Even movies these days, they have a rating system. There are content warnings, yeah. like made to pick graphic violence, mm -hmm. right? Like, like you've got to right. tip people off a little bit. You can't just surprise them like that. I think that's, that's just very cruel to do that i'll agree like to that. you're playing I'll with fire and you're really playing with yeah. fire if you do that i think I, i'll agree with that and yeah. uh um and and a, and a problem that i've been wrestling with you know for years is those of us who did you know grow up with traditional D D have a whole lot of built-in expectations which are not shared with all newer players who have learned through critical role or something like that and um like i i do feel and it's interesting because I think Matt uh, uh, Matt Finch said this at one point is that what you know what you have to describe to people as old school, in contrast to what's happening in the, in fifth edition right now, changes over time. So what your description of what old school is has to evolve with how it differs from the thing that's evolving currently. And of course, as I, as we mentioned right before the show, uh, Wizards of the Coast just said this past week that that in in a couple of years, in 2024, they're going to have a revised version of D&D. So once again, D&D continues to evolve as a market entity. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and so I feel like when I when I mentally think about like how my my elevator pitch for brand new players of what original D&D is, I think among the things I have to tell them is, OK, you, you see <clears throat> happy characters evolving to success and pretty tieflings and all that kind of thing. 
But you got to remember that lurking in the basement, the root of the literature that inspired D&D is H.P. Lovecraft. And mm-hmm. the, ultimately, that's that's sort of the, the literary root of where this stuff comes from. And it's horrible. So uh, when you when you come into an original D&D game, be ready for it to basically devolve into, into a horror game at any moment. Right. And I agree that's something I feel like probably I need to say to people in the future. I, I, I think you do. And, 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 you know, a little bit of this is just like, know your audience, right? Like, are you playing with yeah. a, a group right. of friends that you've been played with for years and you kind of know their tastes and you can just take some risks like that? Or are you running a convention game for total strangers and you got exactly three sentences in a convention listing magazine to explain yeah. to them what it is they're in for? Yeah. Right. I think I think you can, without tipping the hat too much about the content of the game, say there may be elements of graphic violence in this game. If you're not okay with that, let me know. Uh, and and then either you know either as DM be prepared to edit it or be prepared to tell the player you might want to skip this game. I'm sorry. And I also feel that there's a responsibility. The, the 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 DM. I mean, I'm sort of in the DM is auteur camp, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and the, the DM has a lot of responsibility to improvise with awareness of what's happening at the table. So mm-hmm. they can't completely, you know, just run over everybody and not realize that someone is is suffering. Um, so they have to have an awareness of what's going on at the table and. You know, part of the reason why I wanted to talk about scary things today, honestly, was just yesterday, um, uh, kind of as a late birthday event, Isabel and I uh, went on our annual um, uh, trip to Coney Island here in Brooklyn. And mm-hmm. they currently have their whole Halloween, you know, October Halloween theme set up. And we are not, um, you know, we're not big thrill ride takers. We're mm-hmm. both afraid of heights. And things like that and so we walk in and we are laughing at like the kitty rides that we all we go oh you want to go on that kitty ride and then we watch it for a couple minutes and then we're both like oh we couldn't do that (laughs) 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 that would be way too much for us we couldn't possibly do that and for it's really funny because for about 20 years we'll go every year and i'll point at the wonder wheel right so it's a very large ferris wheel and you know pretty well known in some movies and stuff like that it's 150 feet tall um, and it's been there for a uh, hundred years, actually, as of the last couple of months, actually, they had their hundredth year anniversary. And so for every year I go and go, Isabel, do you want to go up in the Wonder Wheel? And she goes, no way, no way. Uh, when I was 16, I went on a Ferris wheel and it got up about 15 feet and I started screaming that I couldn't take it. And they stopped it and rolled it back <laughs> so I could get off. There's no way. Oh my There's no way I'm going up in that. And so I started, so year after year, I start joking about like, you want to go up in that? I kind of like to do it with you once. Nope, yeah. nope, nope, nope. Okay. So yesterday, 2021, she calls my bluff. <laughs> she says, That's you keep asking me that. How much do you really want to do that? And I go, I really actually have wanted to do with that. And she's like, is it on your bucket list? I'm like, I don't have to. I mean, now you're making me reconsider the fact that I ever asked you. And we, we, we talk each other, we talk, even though we're both scared of heights, we talk each other into it. And, wow. you know, uh, people are taking kids on the thing and people are eating popcorn on the thing. And it's like completely, completely sedate. And she and I are both uh, holding hands on the way up, just sweating bullets. Like the both of us are just, just sweating 
bullets all the way up. And I'm like, I have to oh, no. close my eyes at times and stuff like that. Uh, you know, but we did it. And so it was, so we came away with this really kind of interesting confronting your confronting your fears experience. It's so mm-hmm. safe. You're enclosed compared to other modern rides, right? They haven't had any safety incidents in a century. Yeah. And yeah. we are could barely breathe. Uh, and yet, nonetheless, we, you know, we did, you know, we did actually confront that. And it was kind of interesting to re- reflect upon, mm. um, you know, the physical sensation of literally, <laughs> literally sweating bullets. Would, would you would you go again at this point? Well, that's up for debate. That's that's actually <laughs> a, that's that's a, that's a point of debate that we'll probably find out next year, actually, is I don't know whether I should put whether I should just close the book on that or not. But the funny thing is the other thing that we do, we do regularly is we go to the cyclone, which is the the very old roller coaster down there. And I've done that on occasion, like for 30 years now. Um, And I I talked her into that again. And, uh, you know, we, she's like, is this a good idea? I'm like, no, it's terrible. (laughs) But we did that as we did that as well yesterday. And we walked away and she's like, you know, Maybe we maybe going forward we should consider like doing something that's not actually physically rattling our bones to pieces, um, and maybe we should switch a wonder wheel. She says as the annual thing to do. So that's a possibility. So I think this this my takeaway from this is an actual real practical piece of advice that I would give DMs for wanting to add scary moments to their game, which is foreshadow the crap out of it. Right. Yeah. Like the yeah. more you can build yeah. it up as a terrible thing, yeah. and especially if you can build it up as a terrible optional thing, but then make it non-optional later. Right. Like if you, oh, yeah. <laughs> if you can present oh, yeah, the yeah, thing yeah. to the players is like, like, yeah. don't go down the well, right. Like don't go down the yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, horrible yeah. down there. Right. It's definitely, you're definitely right. going to die. These people right. who are much more powerful you than you went down the well and they never came back. Right. Like, uh, Oh, you know, my uncle went down the well and he came back with uh, one arm, right. Like just, you know, hammer it and hammer it and hammer it and then put them in a point of like, okay, well, we're definitely not going down the well, right? That's horrible. And then turns out you have to go down the well. <laughs> now, right? for that to be, think... now, for that to be legitimate, like John, like John Miller said a while back, the, the OSR gamer expectations is we expect to die is, mm. is you kind of, you, you, that, that has to be demonstrated to new original D&D players that that really is actually on the table. Um, otherwise, as we know, the don't go down the well might just be like, well, that's clearly the adventure hook. So we've got to go down the well. Um, so you kind of have, you kind of have to convince your players that death actually really is on the table for that to yeah, be a legitimate you know, threat. You know, I poke, I poke fun a bit at the don't go down the well, because of course that's, that's been both of our reactions, right? Is that the moment mm-hmm. you tell the players, don't do something, right. they immediately want to do it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, on the other hand, I've certainly seen many times in 10 dead rats, cases and and i would say like actually the content uh, pushes in this so if you've read uh the enemy within campaign um the the second and or third book depending on how you count them uh, uh death on the reich like has the players repeatedly as they're going up and down this river past a very spooky castle there's a spooky castle on the cliff here like classic like monster story castle and it looks horrible and the village around it is the people are emaciated and not doing well and they're fishing people out of the river near there and it's just awful and it just looks absolutely awful and the funny thing is that the first couple of times the players pass it reason uh oh did we just freeze up for a second looks like we froze up Sorry. uh just just momentarily uh, 
Okay, great. Uh, so as they pass the castle, there's no reason for them to go in it, right? They're just you're just foreshadowing how horrible it is. Oh, good. But then yeah. as oh, they good. play the game, suddenly it comes yeah. out like, ah, oh, you might need to go to that castle. Ah, oh, this thing you're looking <laughs> for, it's in that castle, right? That's <laughs> yeah, that's very good. Yeah. And so then eventually they're, they they really hit that point. You'll see it in Ten Dead Rats where they talked about it yeah. a bit. They're like, ah, I think we have to go in this Moogie Castle. Oh, I don't want to go in this Moogie Castle. Like, that's the best. If you can get, like, one player to absolutely not want to do a thing and the other player to really want to do it and then have to argue about, like, oh, we really have to go do this. Oh, I don't want to. I think that's, that's good stuff. I've seen a technique in a couple, like, film TV stories recently that caught my eye of, and the technique is, you know, your your mentor character, you have like an NPC mentor, you know, Elminster character, like, here's the information, I'm telling you what's going on, I'm, here's what you, you got to do this, you got to do this. And then at some point, have it flip so that they're scared, right? Have it, have it flip so the, char the character that was previously seen as being in control suddenly isn't mm -hmm. in control anymore. And that's, mm -hmm. again, that's a, that's a shift in expectations that catches my eye as a viewer and makes me very unsettled of like the, the whole premise for you know narratively where this how this story worked uh is suddenly gone and now i don't know where the story is going to go anymore because of that yeah that's a very kind of like uh jurassic park sort of uh uh sensation yeah. right of sort of like oh yeah. no everything's safe like it looks scary but don't you worry right. we've all made it perfectly safe and then that guy gets right. eaten by a dinosaur and you're like uh, right. right. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh oh. Uh oh. Wow. Wow. I kind of super want to run a game like that now. I really want to have a, a game with an NPC in it who's set up yeah. from the beginning to be like, I'm your trustworthy right. guy. Don't worry. I'm right. unflappable. Right. We'll be fine. As long as right. you got me on your side, right. we'll be fine. And then have that right. person freak out halfway through the game. That sounds delightful. Well, I think, and I think, I think that's one that works, that also works good as a, as a, as a, as a long playing a campaign. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you have, a, you have a, yeah. here's the guy who gives you the, gives you the, the quest, right? Gives you the quest, gives you the quest, takes the, takes the magic item, decurses it, whatever. Right. Yeah. And so kind of as, as a long game. And then three months later, all of a sudden they're out of control. Um, yeah. That's, that's yeah. really going to be bothersome. That's and it's not stuff. exactly, it's not exactly the same as thing as like your beloved uncle gets murdered or something like that. It's like they're out of control and you see on their face that they're scared because they don't know what to do anymore. Um, let me okay. ask this. Okay. So some of us in the chat are talking. Go ahead, Paul. I might be going off. On oh, I had, a, I had a totally separate line to go down if you're uh, I do too. ready for it. Okay, great. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, got, we got like 10 ish minutes left. Let's, let's of course, we both. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. All right. Here, I'm going to give you mine. Uh, so <laughs> I just, I, here's a moment uh, that I created in a game totally by accident. Uh, curious what your thoughts are, if there's any useful tidbits to pull from it or stuff you could use in your real game. Uh, I had a group playing classic, good old classic D&D. They're in a dungeon um, and they go down, they split the party route by accident, but basically they discover a one-way teleporter. And one by one, each of them is like, well, half the party went through. I guess I guess I'm going to press the button and, and then, boom, you're gone. And then the next person's like, uh, well, I guess we're all in. I guess we're all in. Boom, and you're gone comes to the last guy and he says, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go this way instead. I'm going to go down this hall. And so at that moment, we've got, okay, now we've got a split party, right? You had the nice kind of tension moment of the players not only like, do, are we all dying? Are we all committing suicide by pressing this button? And then right. we disappear. Are we actually going somewhere? Turns out they were being yeah. teleports. So I say, great person who goes the other direction. And I did what, what you've talked about doing, which is, I, is rather than splitting it and 
narrating his stuff, I said, you and I are going to have a separate session together all by ourselves. Okay. okay. And then I continued to run the, the other group. Um, then he came back. So this was a long running campaign. So he came back to my place uh, for a one-on-one D&D game where I just ran like, all right, we're going to see what happens to you. Right. And he goes off and he finds these um, uh, cursed pixies. They're, they're like the pixie element uh, monster right out of the monster manual, but they're horrible and evil and, and, and whatever. Uh, he gets into a fight with them. He's all alone. He's obviously in over his head. They kill him. Uh, and they end up rolling on the critical hits chart. Uh, my, my favorite critical hits chart, which, as you know, is one roll for severity and one roll for location. And the severity is severed and the location is face. <laughs> so, like, they sever your face? Right. Okay. Cut to the next week where the whole group is back reassembled. There's the player who is missing or who, who everyone knows went on a solo adventure. And he's sitting down at the table with a new character. <laughs> right. And he's, and he's great, kind of sworn great. to secrecy about what happens. Great. great. Yeah, okay. Great. So the whole party, including Mr. New Guy, go walking down the same way that the other guy went the last time all on his own. And they go walking down the hall and I describe how they see the old character there, which is basically the pixie wearing the severed face. Oh, <laughs> and basically impersonating him and being like, ah, oh, I'm fine. And I'm, and I'm describing, describe it that way. You see your friend, you saw, you know, he went down this way, but is there something weird about him? Is he a little shorter? Maybe like his face looks a little droopy for some reason. Is it a little baggy under the eyes? And he's acting kind of really weird. And he's like, no, come, come with me. Come follow me. No, I found great treasure. Come on, come on. And that definitely evoked and, and the funny thing is I had one player at the table who's just like, you know, biting his knuckle and kind of like trying to laugh. <laughs> the rest of the party because he knows what's there. He's just like, mm, nope, nope. And the whole party then goes down and faces these horrible pixies. Fortunately, since they had the whole party, they were able to take care of it. But it was, uh, I've been told by some of my players that that was the scariest moment yeah. in the game. Was as the group going yeah. down that creepy hallway with someone yeah. they thought was a friend, but they all knew couldn't be a friend, right? They all knew that can't yeah, be our friend yeah, because yeah, he's yeah. sitting over here playing a new character. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, he was a good sport, right? He kept his mouth shut and let, let the whole thing. Yeah, go yeah right. That's, that's important. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. that's important for those, for that, that splitting type thing is you need, you need buying and everybody cooperating on that. Yeah. But it was really convenient. Like it was all originated by you know the combination of this interesting monster I had and the horrible role on the critical injury yeah. role uh, to then have be like, well, of course they're going to impersonate him using right. his own wearing his face, right? Because that's right. horrible. <laughs> Were the players previously informed that face severing was a possibility in your game, Paul? Uh, no, no, they were not. They did know that there was horrible, <laughs> horrible things on the on the on the uh, on the chart for. Uh, you know. They knew mutilation was possible. Let's say let's let's put it that way. Okay. They knew mutilation. Right, that's fair. Several of them were that's already right. missing limbs by this point. Like it was definitely okay. a thing. But okay. you told me overall super sad. Frankly, I didn't know severed face was a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised by that. Also, severed face. Oh God! What does that mean? Yeah. yeah. So you know, so, one I thing know. I would—I mean, what's, what's one thing I would suggest—I <laughs> don't know. I mean, yeah. <laughs> the, I mean, the, the, I mean, the, the separating the party was pretty cured of that, right? Separating the party was was right. was big. I also think a big part of it was seeing a character that their being yeah. that that their characters believe should be trustworthy, yeah. but the players right. all know isn't. Right. Right. I think that's like the, the different players... perspective. 
I think that's yeah. the different perspective aspect is you're no, you're used to seeing this character get played by player A, and then yeah. all of a sudden it's shifted now and it's being played by a different person. You don't know what direction it could possibly go in. Right. Right. Yeah, I think that's I think that's key. I think that's very interesting. It's very similar in my head to that mode that what we were just talking about before about the NPC who starts yeah. off trustworthy and 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 is gonna gonna be there to look out for you and then loses their shit. Yeah. 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 I mean, the other thing is just be open to the surprise, right? Again, be be open to the you know you 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 trusted the dice in that case to come up with a result. You didn't come mm -hmm. up with it, so you were surprised, and things were going in a different direction. And and I think that the time it's not exact. Maybe it's not exactly scary, but like like kind of with my thrill ride thing, I my toler my personal tolerance for that kind of thing is very very low, ridiculously mm -hmm. low at that point. And then. There are these times in game where I feel like I'm just describing stuff clinically, mm -hmm. and you know, I you know, again, my my father's a veterinarian. I grew up around animals, participating in surgeries, and so on the other hand, my you know threshold for uh, bloody blood and gore stuff is like and kind of like a weird other direction. And so occasionally at the table, I have just described clinically what's going to happen when you hit somebody with an axe or a sword. And I'm kind of doing this kind of in my mind's eye, and I look over, and the whole table is like, hey, <laughs> <own> it down. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the whole table goes, ah, oh, God. Oh, and I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that was sorry. <laughs> I thought that was just the description is all I thought that was. I wasn't really That's going for it. So, so be open yeah. to the surprise in – you know, I think a lot like a lot like the other, you know, improvisational live performers, you have to be you have to be open to slightly dancing around the line and, you know, try to be yeah. kind about it, not be an asshole about it. But you kind of have to be dancing around the line of exactly what is going to be yeah. <clears throat> from your experience going to be surprising other people. When, when we're talking about elements like this and the concern about safety, I think that like uh, there's some good safety tools out there. Right. Use X card or something like that so that you have an out. So that if you accidentally push it too far, there's a way to like encourage the players to give that feedback and to to roll it back if it is too much, uh, assuming that you're you know willing to roll it back and that's you know. Yeah, and I I mean I and I might be and my, I might myself be a little bit more lightweight in the actual mechanic, but I you know want to be open and responsive and aware of you know people's state and if it's too much then to you know to dial it down. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I just want to I want to share really quickly William's comment here, which I think is a nice uh, summary of the, the, the takeaway I think from that uh, that the, right. the moment I was describing with the separate face guy, uh, where he says uh, it's like Hitchcock, where the tension comes from the audience knowing there's a bomb under the table, but the characters don't. I think that's a really that's an apt description of it. And I, now now my head is spinning on new ways. Like what other ways can right. I do something where I can tip off the players without tipping off their characters? That's really interesting, and I want to yeah. do that a little more. And like, you know, I think in other movies, like that's the classic, like, don't go in there. Like when the whole audience all yells, don't go in there. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, it's it's yeah, that yeah. moment of you, you've got to see it coming to really feel it. Yeah. Interesting. Dan, we have, you don't five want, you don't want like the left. end of the Sopranos, right? The end of the Sopranos yeah. is a different thing. You need for uh, really to feel it. You gotta see I, don't, it I don't know. Don't know. Don't know. Okay, that so I, I guess I'm just, I guess, spoiler alert. Okay, if anybody doesn't want to know how The Sopranos ends, you got to you got to stop the, the thing right now. And I didn't watch The Sopranos either because, frankly, it was too scary for me to watch. Um, <laughs> uh, but the the very end of The Sopranos is they're sitting in a restaurant, and then it just cuts to black. 
Okay. And then it's just over. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And I, I believe most people interpret that as he was the subject of a hit that he didn't see coming. Mm. That's clever. It's clever. There's debate on that, but I believe that's that, that's the, that's the common interpretation. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. But then you don't feel yeah, anything, I, and then there's the right, and then a lot of people didn't like that ending because they didn't feel anything from it. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Maybe okay. Here's my last thing. So yep. some of us were talking mechanics in the chat, and here I am injecting one last thing we don't have time to deal with. Yep. Yep. But yep. Go when for it. I, so I, I like the right among the things that Joshua said quite a while ago was I think Joshua said was was level drain, right? And I, I actually am kind of fond of the classic D&D mechanics that in many people have taken out of the game of undead level draining is really terrifying. Uh, ghoul paralysis is really terrifying. Spiders and snakes with save or die poison that your, you know, whatever level character gets bit once, rolls saving throw, fails it, and you're dead, are really terrifying. But the players need to know about it in advance. So mm. I, I think I try now to be careful about even if they run into those types of monsters for the first time, I immediately give them an information drop about you have heard <clears throat> that uh, uh, barrel whites uh, will drain levels out of a person or, or ghouls. Mm. They'll hit you once and you'll be par paralyzed and be unable to defend yourself and surely die. Or I'll describe clearly lethal poison dripping out of the fangs of a giant snake and you know that a single bite will you cause your lethal a lethal end to you and so as the players you know encounter that um i want to signal that advance and then they can make a choice about whether they want to run away or actually confront this and they mm -hmm. feel it coming they don't just get oh surprise that's what this monster does and you're dead um, yep. But I, I try to be careful about that. So I, I, I might argue that telling the players mechanics in advance here, here yeah. specifically, yeah. The, here's the die I'm going to roll if you get bit uh, in advance, um, lets them, lets that settle on their psyche a little bit more and lets them feel it coming up. So I actually am in favor yeah. of those things, but I got to tell it to them in advance. Yeah, I, I definitely I like that. I like that a lot. Um, and, and yeah, yeah, it's, it's again, it's that it's that notion, right, of, of it feels the same thing, right, of sort of, um, yeah. you know, informing the players or letting the, 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 the players know more than their characters, right? Yeah, of sort of uh, I, another okay. way I okay. could imagine doing it. Another way I could imagine doing it just just if you're like, yeah. don't want to just go step right out of the game and say, you know, this has safer die mechanics. Uh, what about like, injecting some red shirts into your game? Have a couple NPCs that you can just be like, oh, there's save or die poison here, and just immediately hit a henchman with it. Just, mm, henchman's dead. I attack the henchman, fails to save, he's dead. End of story. I mean, I don't have to work at that because that's pretty much what happens. <laughs> I, <laughs> the, there's, a, there's a really uh, high henchman body count in my games. So, yeah. yes, I agree, Paul. That was my clever plan all along. You could, it's just a thought of a way you could you could give the players the information without just giving the players the information, right? Right. Yeah, okay. I mean, you know, even that they've invested, you know, they've in, at least they, they've invested, you know, getting the henchman uh, for me. So, um, yeah. but so I I have not minded like personally, I have not minded stepping in and saying, "You remember, you have heard about blah, you've heard the myth of the legend of the thing." I I have not personally been bothered by 
stepping in and giving some in-game information that way. Yeah, yeah, I think that's totally reasonable. All right, that is, we're definitely out of time. So, uh, viewers, if right. you have other interesting ways to inject some spooky, scary, horror uh, moments into your into your regular non-horror game, which seems to be basically the thrust of what we're getting at here, um, please leave a comments here in the video. We'd love to hear other ways that you yeah. can inject uh, uh, some some scary stuff into your Halloween games coming soon. Definitely. And, and I think in summary, Paul, I think we agree in letting letting them see it coming in advance. And I'm, I'm personally in favor of uh, letting objective dice or maybe dread mechanic, like some objective thing in the world that the DM doesn't have their thumb on be the determination. And that can be that can be pretty scary. Yeah, sure. That's, um, that's, that's the control. Yeah. So remember, uh, maybe if you're new to the show, that you can like, follow, and subscribe to us, The Wandering DMs. And we are on Twitter and Twitch and Facebook and also GitHub. Uh, and we have the handle Wandering DMs on all of those sites. So look for us there for updates about future shows. Uh, if you prefer to listen to our shows in audio-only podcast format, you can do so. Those files are available on our website at wanderingdms.com. Uh, you can also find us on various carriers like Google Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify. If you are listening to us through one of those apps, please take a moment to rate and review us there. That helps other users of that app find our show, and we really appreciate it. We very much appreciate it. And, of course, thanks to our patrons who support this show. And if you'd like to join them, please visit patreon.com slash wandering DMs. And the different tiers have discounts on merch, access to our private Discord server, monthly behind-the-scenes videos and polls and surveys, and also after-party chat that we have every Sunday right after the show. We'll be there in about 10 minutes. Uh, Paul will be back on Monday. We're looking for a schedule to uh, find our next Book of War Wargaming show Saturdays. But don't forget that we are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So we hope that you'll join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then.